the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode number five, recorded Thursday, May 24th, 2012. Greg Brown, I'm in charge. For the education show from AV Nation EdTech, uh, good good morning, good afternoon, good evening, uh, whenever you're listening to this wonderful podcast. My name is Tim Albright, your host. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this is the education-based, focused, and um, specialized podcast from the guys that give you AV Nation. With us, as always, uh, is Matthew Silverman. He is from George Mason University. How are you, sir? I'm um, very good. Thanks for having me. Uh, due north of Matthew by about 20,000 hours uh, in the cold rotunda of Maine. <laughs> Scott Tyner is from Bates College. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Tim. Thanks for having me. Is it still like 40 degrees there? No, it's like 85 and humid oh, today, wow. actually. Holy cow. It's it. Seasons just turn like a light switch up here. Well, and then you've got you've got the other guy's weather, which is Greg Brown from UCLA. How are you, sir? Hey, Tim. Hey, Matt. Scott. Doing just fine. It's uh, it's about seventy and sunny, pretty much like it is every day out here. <laughs> you know, I live in St. Louis, so it's I'm 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 with Tyner. It, it could flip like a light switch. So uh, today we're going to talk about some Crestron stuff, both uh, some streaming and also uh, if you are a Crestron user, some uh, a a, uh, a neat little group that you can get yourself involved in. Audio in the classroom from AVB and uh, also um, you know any other kind of you know tips and tricks and what we think that you should do in your classroom. And also my worst least favorite product I've seen probably in the last year or so, uh, and I'll get to that in a second. But first. Uh, NHK has been in the news lately. Um, last week, uh, actually on the AV Week uh, podcast, we talked about the fact that they were broadcasting in 4K. Uh, why is that important? Well, it's important if, if, you, if you do get any kind of over-the-air stuff. But also, they have released, um, or they're meeting, rather, um, to define, the ITU is meeting to define 4K and 8K Parameters. Now, this is in conjunction with with NHK's um, high vision equipment. But Matt, is this is this just kind of the next step from you know XGA and UXGA and all this stuff, and and we're just kind of getting together and saying this is you know this is the resolution for 4K or 8K, um, or are these guys kind of spinning their wheels, um, not really just trying to put something out there to see if it if it sticks. Um, no, I think this is, uh, this is actually great. Um, you know, I, one of the terms that always makes me laugh is when I hear full HD, um, you know, (laughs) a a wonderful, wonderful marketing term, which means absolutely nothing except confusing people. Uh, so having the ITU meet as a standards body and actually define what 4k and 8k, uh, actually mean as a resolution, I think is fantastic. Uh, so that way, People know what to expect when they start working in higher uh, higher resolutions, and you know content is standardized. 
I mean, I look at kind of the, the space that a lot of us operate in right now in our classrooms, uh, that WUXGA uh, or WXGA or WSXGA, all of which are kind of made up on the fly by individual manufacturers. And it, it just makes it very difficult to support. So. so, so Scott, does this mean that we're going to get rid of the moniker HD? Because, you know, Matt's right. You know, HD is what? A higher definition than what? Uh, now we have 4K and 8K, which technically is higher definition than, you know, 1080p, right? Yeah, I. you know, the honest truth for, for me is I have not um, been keeping up with, with this. And so I'm curious to know from any of you guys that have looked into it is how how long before I actually have to answer these questions and deal with it? Because <laughs> I have no idea. We'll, we'll all have an early adopter call us next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Anybody that we know that's in the government... <laughs> <laughs> because none of us have the uh, none of us have the budget to buy it. No, we'll we'll have some crazy professor who's decided the only way he can now teach is is with is via 4K or 8K. Uh, he probably because he wrote read some paper somewhere that said you know red is the only way to go. Right. <laughs> you know, I, it makes me wonder about you know our, the art history faculty and the like who we're we're still trying to get away from slide projectors and well this resolution. Amen, you know, brother. Finally, satisfy them. No, <laughs> no, no. You know why? Because there's only one way to play True Grit, and that's on VHS. So, <laughs> sorry. It's actually one of our test discs. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't know. There, there, there are still professors, and 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 God love them. I, I go to their retirement parties every year, going, okay, that's one less person I have to worry about a VHS tape deck. Okay. There's one, two. Okay, no, no, I don't have to buy two tape deck this year. Okay, cool. I got the only, you know, the only issue I have with, about that is that I think they're right about slide projectors. Slide projectors just look fantastic, and I'm not being it's, facetious. It's, it's, not, well, yes, I guess in comparison to to a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, it, right, exactly. Did I ever tell you guys the the horrible story? My first instance with a slide projector on this campus. It was. Uh, I I've heard this, and you you, you told had, this in AV okay. Nation, I think, and yes, I and it go, was go, horrible. I, I'm looking forward to this. Well, it, here's here's what it was. I, <laughs> I, I, my first like month or so he, working here uh, at, at fabulous campus of Lewis and Clark College, I got a call, and in the uh, the professor said the projector's broken. And what do we do? We you know make sure you know you go there and make sure that everything's working. So I turn on everything, and the projector powers up fine. It's a big honking. You know, Epson, uh, Epson projector, the lights fine. Go through the switching, and so I, I, you know, sent him an email, said, "Hey, you know, I checked out everything," and he called me the next day. He goes, "It's still not working." I'm like, "Are oh, you kidding me?" So I go there and I meet the guy, and um, it's it turns out it's the slide projector. I'm like, "Holy cow!" I didn't even know that they still made these. I said, "Okay, so I'll, I'll I'll check it out." So I go and get my tools and do do everything, and. Um, so it's one of these that lowers out of the ceiling. So it lowers down, and I check everything. Turns out that the bulb is busted. You know, the bulb's burned out. So I you know, do my thing and change the bulb. And this is the only guy that uses the sucker on this campus, right? And he teaches microbiology. And that that's important because of what the slides are of. Um, so I change the bulb, right? And I turn it on, and... Um, uh, 
make sure that everything's set correctly. And it is a slide carousel full of STDs, let's just say. (laughs) (laughs) And let's just say there's nothing like a 100-inch version of genital warts. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. In in fine detail. No oh less. yes, fine fine detail. You're right. The resolution on those suckers is phenomenal. Wouldn't <laughs> want to pixelate that no, now, would you? No. So yeah, we're we're in a similar situation here at UCLA. We we still have a oh, I I don't know what the exact number is, but a, a a handful, maybe twenty or so slide projectors out there in various rooms and. And and it's for the instructors that are in the you know you'll you'll pry it out of my cold dead hands nice. crew and uh, one of those is one with apparently this great big collection of airplane crash investigation oh. see which yeah I I haven't seen but it's like uh, yeah, you know I, I think I can probably skip that class you don't why do you need that that big I mean ha- do a handout or something. <laughs> Send them to a website. I'm sure there's plenty of websites with both of those. Um, all right, moving on to something a little more, you know, uh, less gross. Uh, this week on on Rave's website, actually, we did a daily rave about this because it just incensed me. Um, the uh, the fine folks at Sanus came out with something I'm sure is perfectly usable and is a fine product. Let me start there. I have nothing against them. I have nothing against their product except the fact that it's necessary. <laughs> um, it's a 90-degree HDMI adapter. And and I said this to Gary, and I'll say this to you guys, and we'll start with you, Greg. It, it pisses me off that it's necessary, and it pisses me off that it's still not captive. And it pisses me off because it's a freaking HDMI, and HDMI is still not captive. I don't care that it's there, there's content production on it. I've learned to live with it, and I've learned to accept that. But it still will wiggle free, and you can still get a call at 12.30 in the afternoon in the middle of your lunch because, you know, quote, unquote, the projector stopped working. And in reality, what happened was the HDMI just wiggled free and lost connection. So, um, the, you know, the, this isn't new. Somebody else has been making these for a while. Um, I don't know. I don't know the name. If I really had to, I could dig them up. But I bought a bunch of these about a year ago when my my department decided to charge off into a sort of a I love me digital signage project, you know, inner inner departmental Mm -hmm. sort of stuff, which is the way everything seems to be done here. We we don't have anything sort of cross campus. And um, yeah, and and. Boy, there's there's not a lot of space behind uh, behind a great big flat panel when you mar- once you uh, mount it on the wall. And um, I saw those, and I bought a bunch. Like I said, maybe about a year ago, and used a couple of them. And uh, so I was sort of, yeah, it's it's a it's a neat, obnoxious little necessity, which is I guess sort of how you classify a lot of things we deal with here in our our little world. Yeah, um, and you know, and Gary brought up the fact that Extron has their little, you know. Zip tie, you know, make sure that it, whatever the stupid thing's called, it's, it's a thing that you can screw into the device and then zip tie the HDMI connector on, and that's and, fine. and there are a couple different versions of those oh, that, out there too. Yeah, but I, I, I guess my my thing is, is I hate the fact that it's necessary. I wish that somebody would overhaul 
the connector. I have no problem with the transport. Again, not a problem with the transport. Um, Matt, is this something that we're going to just have to deal with for a while until somebody does overhaul the connector? Um, well, or is I, it- I think there's a couple things. I mean, one, you know, we have, I think at this point, it's like 87 rooms installed, which are digital. Figure at least five to 10 HDMI interconnects per room. It, to the best of my knowledge, in the past two years that we've had those installed, not a single HDMI connector has fallen out. Wow. So, but you probably tie wrap them down in some way, right? No, no. We, I mean, we 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 do dress our cables to uh, lacing bars, mm-hmm. but oh, that's, besi- that's big. That's big. Yeah, but besides that, there's no. I mean, there's nothing that we do any different than we did to VGA. Um, now, something that may make you happy, Tim. There's a company out there called uh, Perfect Path, who actually makes an HDI, H, uh, HDMI connector, which I'm. They have a video. I still don't quite understand it, but basically, it's it, it's a latching, uh, locking HDMI connector, and it mm. works with any standard uh, connector. Uh, and so, it may be that cable of your dreams. I'm not quite sure, uh, but it it's it's at least it, it's not like having to do something weird. And I do. Or even something not user friendly, like I, you know, Xtron I think has a good solution. But if you have to take a tweaker to every time you need to adjust the cable, mm-hmm. th- th- that that's five minutes worth of a tech, you know, fiddling in there and trying to hit that little, you know, that little nut. And I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I try to keep those things to a minimum. Doesn't Neutrik have something like a like an XLR shell with an HDMI in it of some sort? Yes. I think, yeah. 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 I mean, they've got a lot of stuff like that. I'm sitting here on this website, and I'm wondering how the heck this sucker's locking, but it looks pretty cool. They, they have a video with it, uh, which, yeah, I, 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 I don't get it today, but um, a couple of people are actually reselling them. So uh, mm-hmm. a couple of major companies. Uh, Crestron's actually one of them. Uh, we're not buying them, but, uh, yeah. Uh, but, no, there's a couple of people who've licensed them for resale. So oh. I would assume, given that, it may be a pretty good solution. Yeah. I know. They're... <laughs> Sometimes where we OEM stuff that you just like, okay, really? Oh, these, okay, I know what you're talking about. We'll put a link. Yeah, on, it's, on it's the got show that notes. little, yeah, it's got that little sprung tab on it, which just has some, just has some little teeth stamped into it. Yeah. It, it basically it, it makes it a lot like a uh, DisplayPort connector, which also has the teeth. Yeah, yeah. It, it my understanding is it doesn't lock in, but it's like a like a high friction sort of thing. It'd be like yeah. the the, know, the, it, the 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 high high uh, retention spec uh, power plugs, power outlets. Better than nothing, man. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so Scott, let me ask you this: uh, if, uh, after we've gone through, and, and actually this is a cool little product, is are we stuck with HDMI? And I say that because, you know, I, I have my own issues with it. But is this the connector we're going to be dealing with for the next 10 years until something else, until the next uh, transport comes out? Well, it, there's so many products that use HDMI, but at the same time, there's, you know, I, I don't even know if we're stuck with HDMI right now, are we? I mean, there's, you know, as Matt mentioned, there's DisplayPort, there's uh, Thunderbolt now that we're looking at. Um, Thunderbolts, another one that's that's non-latching. Um, and to me, what these connectors do even worse is that not only do they not latch, but now you could use adapters to get them into to various systems. Yeah. Um, and you know these things end up going on. You know it, it's funny because we've all seen from the analog days somebody who went from 
RCA to BNC to quarter inch to get, you know, yeah. their sound transferred from one spot to the next. And it's kind of the same thing with some of these digital connections now. Um, I, you know, I, I think that I, when I hear, you know, when we say, why doesn't somebody make an HDMI that really locks? I think it's probably because they figured, you know, why spend all the time in the spec when two years, who knows what we'll be using. Well, the other thing is, is as, as you guys are sitting here talking about this going and, and Matt mentioned, you know, Crestron. Are we close to where we're going to say, um, you know what, connector doesn't matter because everything's done in the cloud then? And you're just going to plug it into a transmitter, and it, that's going to send it up to the cloud. And the cloud's going to do the switching, and then you get it back in, into, you know, the projector. I think we're – yes, but I think we're still at that point that all of us are at where you've got somebody standing at a podium with some device. And, and how do you get that into the cloud? Yeah. I think your transport's all going to be Cat5, Fiber, whatever, you know, Cat6, whatever the next one is. Um, but it's it's always that well, I've got a laptop that's got X Y Z connector on it. Pick one. Yeah. I, no, I, I think even and I know it's one of our other stories, but even like when AVB takes off, you're still going to be doing your last mile connector with something like an HDMI or DisplayPort because uh, you just don't need the complexity uh, unless you get something that has like you know some sort of transmit baked in hmm. uh, into the device itself. Yeah. Yeah, you know, with us, with our our rethinking our our systems here as we switch over to digital, you know, I've had to have the well, but isn't everything just going to be wireless in another year or two anyway? <laughs> well, Conversation with so many people. Okay, so let let me let me play devil's advocate on that, Greg. Um, Matt mentioned AVB, <laughs> so we'll go ahead and, and hit the hit the story here. And, and the story for us is is really um, there's going to be some some training. Um, and Infocom, the the uh, Avenue AVNU Alliance, uh, is going to be do, doing some AVB training. And if you're not familiar with what AVB is, AVB stands for Audio Video Bridging. In a nutshell, this is very simplistic, so please don't don't yell at me for this. But basically, it's audio and video and some other things going over standard network um, using one protocol. And that means, you know, sending it through actual switchers and stuff, um, you know, whether that's you know HP or, or, or uh, Cisco or whoever. So if AVB happens, no, no, follow me here, Greg. If AVB really happens. I'm, I'm trying. And stuff like the Tessera from, from Biamp or, or anybody else that uses this protocol. And it's it's going through normal switchers and, and the, the IT guy on the show, which is, you know, not me. Can, can yell at me for this too, um, goes through normal switchers, then couldn't it, in theory, be wireless, just like IT is wireless? Oh, oh, absolutely. And and actually, I'm, the, I'm, I'm sure Matt and Scott are going to be able to give you a far more coherent answer on this one than me because, I mean, I, I don't know a lot about AV bridging, but I've I've seen and heard and read enough to realize that it's really really big and it's going to affect all of us and it's sort of on that list of my read everything you can that talks about this mm-hmm. stuff because it's really important but I don't understand how yet and and that's sort of where I am okay. and like I said the other the other guys are going to have much more information on this than I do 
Well, Matt, is this how important really is AVB for the industry, or is this just one more standard that we're trying to get, you know, <laughs> finalized? I mean, our, our buddy Kevin Isella says the one one great thing about standards is there's so many of them. Um, <laughs> so how important is AVB for, for I, our I, industry and for education? I think, you know, it's one of the pet topics which I follow, mm-hmm. and I, I think it, I really think it's huge. Um, to, to go back uh, a couple things, one – you were, were almost 100% on your definition of AVB. Oh, good. The only, th- the only thing to point out is it, it's actually a family of standards. It's, it, so it's, it's not just one overall thing, but it's kind of a bucket of IEEE standards which uh, govern audio and visual over a network setting. Um, theoretically, it could go over wireless. However, from what I've been reading about it, just to do audio alone – they're looking at 10 gig to 40 gig data requirements. And that's a little bit of a challenge over wireless like right now. Wow. No, it's yeah. not. We had a story last week where some guy did terahertz. Okay. <laughs> it was like three feet, but he still did terahertz. I mean, come on. So, and I wouldn't I, want to it, stand in that stream. You know, it would cook your insides, but go ahead. A gazillion yeah. megahertz, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And no, I think we'll get there. I, I do. Um, you know, I look at AVB and I, depending on what day it is, I say it's either like five years away or 10 years away. I think it's somewhere on that like mid, that midterm horizon for us. Uh, the first people who are probably going to really be adopters of it will be rental and staging on the sound side, yeah. replacing mm-hmm. Cobranet. And as far yeah. as I know, yeah. n- no one has a video product that they've announced yet. Um, there, this show you'll see, uh, Biamp and I think some other people, um, uh, I saw another announcement, I forget who it was, but there's at least, uh, two major companies who will have shipping standards based AVB product. And the neat thing about the AV new Alliance is it's like Wi-Fi. Basically it's, it's a third party compliance certification that says they, they basically test and stamp the products to say, you know, AVB from company A will work with AVB from company B, okay. which is really awesome. So I, I, I just think it's great. I, I'm it, Unfortunately, I had a conflict with the training at the show or I actually really was going to try to get over to it. Um, I, I think we're, like I said, five to ten years away from seeing this in the education market. But I, I just think it's huge and I think it's really, really fantastic technology. That makes me feel good because we're doing a, an AVB special next week. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, and he got pitched to me by by one of my good friends who's a, a huge audio guy, and, and he's like, okay, you know what? Here, here's some guys, whether it's you know Harmon and Bosch and Biamp, um, and so we're going to sit down with with a bunch of these guys that are on the on the committee and say, okay, you know, explain to me, to me, you know, dummy me, what what exactly is AVB, and go from there. So, so Matt, what what is it that's taking such such bandwidth for audio? For example, the the samples you gave for audio. Um. To be honest, I don't know that that's a bit of over my head on a technical level. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I understand, you know, this is uncompressed real time um, and it, it may be multipath. I'm not sure. Right. right. Uh, but it, 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 I think it's just the idea of how do you keep it in real time and guarantee you don't lose anything. Uh, so it may just really be the, the fattest pipe they can produce. 
Um, that, that, that's probably, uh, Tim, a great question to ask on your AVB show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I, I know there's, there's a one company, I think it's, uh, extreme networks, uh, which is one of the AV new partners who has really kind of been one of the leaders on, uh, product specific, uh, like network switch development for AVB. And they, they're, they've been one of the groups that have really been pushing the barrier and are introducing some of the first, uh, 40 gig product, uh, switch product. And do you know is the uh, I'm sorry Tim I don't mean to take over. Oh, do, your role, do, do, do go ahead. These are great questions. These are great now, questions. Do you, do you know if our our switches network switches do they need to be AVB certified or is it just anything? There the, there there is a IEEE protocol for the life of me I can't remember even remotely what number it is but within the Ethernet family of standards. Uh, which you'll start looking for on switches to see if they're AVB compatible or not. Um, from what I understand from I, – it was last Infocom, I think, um, when I was at a meeting uh, about AVB, uh, AVB, they were even saying people like Cisco is starting to bake some of this into their infrastructure product. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the, yeah. the idea is that you know it may be a firmware update to existing product, but at a certain point, it'll just be a flip to switch, and you're good to go. If if you Google AVB and you go to one of the the, the big sites that that talks about and explains AVB, which is how I found it because I don't remember exactly what it was. Well, one of the features they had was a link to a page that listed AVB compliant equipment. And yeah, it was an odd smattering of like switches and audio equipment. It was kind of Ooh, this is kind of weird. Well, and I guess my whole thing is the fact that uh, Matt is right when he says uh, the guys that are shipping stuff now are like um, Biamp and, and Meyer and stuff. Exactly. And that's the A part of AVB guys. But where the freak is the V part? You know, where's the video part of this? And 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 who is it that's going to jump on board? Is it AMX? And are they going to you know um, abandon? Uh, their you know HD over over twisted pair stuff, or is it going to be Extron or or Crestron or somebody else? It's going to be Cisco. Oh, <laughs> shut up, Greg! Come on, right? I, yeah, I, I, you know I'm with I'm kind of with, I'm with Matt and with what Greg just said, which I think it, it's the future, but I think it's the future in a way we have no idea about and who's going to get involved in this because uh, you know there are some some players in this market that. You know, really like their proprietary wires and their proprietary equipment that are going to fight this. And there might be some guys like Cisco who come out and just say, you know, and, and grab some of the smaller or, or you know, some of just the audio guys or just the video guys rather than the whole the whole shebang type houses. And dang, yeah. both of you are right, too. Well, you know, I went to, um, uh, you, you know, these little one day things that Infocom puts on mm -hmm. like Roundtable and. They have another name for it, and I'm forgetting, and I wish I'd... Is it Lunch and Learns? Uh, it's, it's the full day sort of like micro trade show. Got a couple of classes before and after lunch and like five or six vendors demonstrating. They're, they're going to be local here in Orange County sometime this fall, if I remember right. But I, I went to one in San Diego uh, last fall, and one of the... By the way, terribly underattended. They had like forty people there, and wow. go go to the Infocom website, find one. There's there's a couple like every month. I highly recommend them. They they charge like fifty bucks or something like that to go, and it was just an awesome day in metal people. 
But one of the classes I took was this, you know, little hour presentation from a guy at Cisco. I think it was like three or four of us there listening to him about this this certification program they now have where they they certify AV integrators in using their um, their networking equipment and part of that was because they felt well no they didn't feel they they knew that someday all the audio and video was just going to be over the network and everything will run over our equipment and it was really it was really kind of odd and I wish I'd had a chance to knew we were going to talk about this and had looked at my notes before we we talked about this well, see that 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 actually makes me kind of smile because, all kidding aside, you know, Cisco is the evil empire, but 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 that <laughs> How makes do you me really sm- feel Tim. But but no, that makes me smile because here's the thing: when 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 Tanberg got sold to you know got bought by by Cisco, it was one of those holy crap, you know, this whole convergence, ITAV convergence. Uh, it's not going to be a convergence; they're going to eat our lunch, you know, type of thing. And the fact that they're doing stuff like that, though, means that Cisco is, as a company, as let's, let's be honest here, they're they're primarily an IT company, if they're nothing else, um, is embracing the industry and is recognizing what you just said, which is everything's going to be over the network. Um, and you know what? We know networks and we know switches, but these guys know the know the endpoints, right? Um, you know, I'm I'm not the world's even I'm, I'm i'm probably the world's worst it guy uh just just because of the of the base knowledge that i have but i i, I get the endpoints right um i i know what hdmi or you know um a composite you know a bnc connector is and and you know rca and unbalanced and balanced audio is and my it guy may not know that but he knows the network and so yeah. if we can get together like that like cisco is promoting i think that's a really cool thing yeah, the the impression I came away with was that with what was that that they clearly understood that they they understood their core technologies and that they were going to be largely the backbone of the AV world down the road. But I, yeah, I didn't get the impression at all that they were thinking that someday there would be like Cisco video projectors and Cisco amplifiers that that they would be the company that would sell us all of our pieces of equipment that you know like like. And Extron seems to yeah. think some days, and I'm in so much trouble for saying that, aren't I? <laughs> no, you're well, not. Oh, I, I will say specifically that program. I, I, am I fami- love Extron. <laughs> Greg, I am familiar with the program you mentioned, and from what I understood, it, it was about making sure that uh, basically former Tamberg installs and also Cisco's telepresence are done to standards because it was – from what I've, you know, it's kind of the lack of standards or processes we've had in our industry versus IT. It was trying to find a way to make sure that clients got a consistent experience every time, which I think is a, is a great goal. Right. Yeah. Goal. Yeah, and it, it was clearly a program where they had they had future designs as far as where it was going to go. That it was going to get bigger, and there were going to be more levels, and it was going to sort of encompass more things down the road. So it was it was kind of an eye opener. Very cool. All right, you are listening to EdTech from AV Nation. Uh, I'm your host, Tim Albright. With us, with us as always, is Matthew Silverman from George Mason University, our buddy over at UCLA Go Bears. And I know I did that wrong on purpose. Uh, is Greg it, Brown? Ber- Berkeley is the Bears. UCLA. Really? Is the I see. I didn't. I didn't know that. So I, I'm even well, insulting you, you even you, more. Well, yeah, and if you went to a college that had an athletic program, oh, you know, that's a, that's kind wow. of a key thing. 
Ouch. See, I, I, I'm just a Bears fan in general. Wow. So. <laughs> wow, that's really, that. yeah. And then uh, our, our buddy. So, uh, so much for my appearing on this show. No. Exactly. See, that's, that's why I love it. <laughs> Anybody out there want to uh, and, uh, sit in for Greg? And then Scott, <laughs> Scott, Scott Tyner Position from Bates open. College. I believe you're the the Bobcats. Oh, yeah. Is it really? Seriously? Yeah, that's what we, yeah. I, I got that right. And then you Matt's, did. Matt's the Patriots, so. Yes, we are. Which there are other reasons to, to dislike that, so. It's a football thing, so. Um, all right, so if, if, at, at the huh, we could talk hockey again. We could. I actually got disowned by a friend of mine named Bradford Ben, who works for Harmon, who is a a uh, adamant and rabid um, uh, Devils fan, and because I'm rooting for my buddy George Tucker's Rangers, so um, no particular reason except for the fact that the St. Louis Blues are out, so. Um, um, where was I going with this? Oh yes, classrooms, because that's what we do. Uh, one thing that we we kind of had uh, on the list here, and I just want to kind of go around it and go off of this this post. Um, it was originally written. Uh, it was actually it was originally appeared on Infocom's website, um, and uh, and the guys at Rave Pubs got the uh, got the okay to to reprint it. It's by a guy by the name of Mark Mayfield, and the title of, of the piece is called Future Proofing Classroom AV. And we've kind of been talking about it here for a couple minutes, uh, but Scott, give me like a, one or two things that you, when you guys sit down to do your either classroom upgrades or if you, you, know, you have a new building that you guys have to design or what have you, how do you go about saying, okay, you know what, we're going to spend... A, a, X amount of dollars, and I don't care what the dollar amount is. It's a lot of money to your college because you're at, it's it's an investment, but that investment has to last a good long while. I mean, ours our our refresh rate is seven to eight years, and so I need to make sure that that what I'm putting in is going to last seven to eight years. How do you go about saying, okay, you know, what technology do I need to put in? Not only that is current, but also keeps us, you know. One step ahead of the game. Well, you know, when we start new classrooms every year, if we're putting in a new building, we will we'll meet with our faculty and see where they're at. Um, you know, we have a few faculty, as anybody would, who are kind of ahead of the curve, and we try to stay up with them. Um, but when we think of when we think of future proofing a classroom, and I, and I think that this was some of what Mark was trying to get at. It, it's really not about how do we replace the projector in three years? It's more about how do we not have to completely rip out the room in three years or yeah. four years? And so for us right now, it is, and we just did this in a room and the people were looking at me like I was nuts. You know, it's like put six cat six wires there, put six over there and, you know, bring them back to a rack location so that there's, it, it's about wires, wires, wires and infrastructure. Um, you know, we talked about wireless a few minutes ago. I am, um, <laughs> The biggest opponent you will ever have of wireless, I, I can't stand it, um, and it's never worked for me. So for me, it's about wires, wire, you know, make sure there's wires everywhere, that the infrastructure's there, um, and that you've really kind of thought through the room for some potential changes. You know, uh, one of the things that we do now, even though we don't put cameras in all our rooms, is while we're redoing a room, we put in wires for the camera, hmm. and we put in more than we need to because we know the day is going to come where. You know that gets asked for. 
a lot of our rooms will put um, wires up in the ceiling for microphones. So when the time comes, we can just drop those through the ceiling and, and connect some, some microphones. Um, the, the article from Mark really um, interests me because so much of it talked about uh, K through 12, which is um, – I don't work at K through 12, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's, it's a kind of this, this passion of mine, the, the, the edu- you know, public education. And um, – I think it's interesting because one of the things people miss all the time for when they talk about public education is the simple fact that they don't have people to plan this stuff. Um, and so, you know, I was I, I laugh all the time because you know Bates has got about seventeen hundred students, four hundred employees, uh, and about forty people in the IT staff. And the school the school union, which my kids go to, and I'm on the school board for, falls about the same size and has four people on the IT staff. Oh, and you know it. <laughs> And they don't so, have a version of you either, do they? Yeah, oh, no. And, and so, you know, right, that's the thing. You've got people who are, you know, computer techs in a school who are being asked to, to do things that they, that they just don't know. And, you know, how can they future-proof a classroom because they don't, they don't have any idea. Yeah. All right, Matt, uh, besides uh, Mr. Tyner's cable, cable, cables, uh, how do you go about, you know, making sure that, you, that, that, that George Mason – is is ahead of the curve um you know a lot of it is i i guess trying to predict the future um i mean i know all you guys know i've been a big uh, digital guy since before it was popular mm-hmm. and uh, right now i'm a big avb guy because i think it will be where we're going uh, for us at george mason it's really been dedicating full-time resources to planning and really building an audiovisual architecture um, what I found is I'd say our designs at this point have a shelf life of about two and a half years. That doesn't mean we're replacing them every two and a half years, but we're moving on to a new installation standard about every two and a half to three years now. Hmm. Um, we're on as fixed as we can given budget, a replacement cycle. That was actually something in the article, which if you don't have a plan, if, you know, one of the numbers I like to quote and, I'm going to probably pull it out thin air. It's about $6 million, give or take, is how much it would cost to replace all of our classroom technology at any given moment. And for the past decade, it just things like that have been a talking point every time I'm in a planning meeting, in a committee meeting, just to help people appreciate that technology in a, in a classroom is no longer an option. It's become an expectation. And, you know, it's future-proofing is making sure you have a sustained resource to continue to maintain, upgrade, replace as required. You know, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever be 100% up to date. I mean, right now, of our rooms, we're about 40 to 50% digital. We've hit at least critical mass that if someone needs digital, we can support them. Um, you know, I'm sure there'll be, you know, whether it's 4K, 8K or whatever, we'll need to support that at some point. And it'll be a similar process. You know, we'll start phasing it in, bring it in gradually. But when we get on a standardized replacement cycle, at least we can help the faculty understand when they should start expect to see the technology in the classroom space. Hmm. That, that's actually a complaint. My, my plan is just to do whatever Matt does only like five years later. <laughs> So <laughs> just because you know he's an actual so save college, up the money, huh? save up money for five years, right? Well, yeah, 
<laughs> just sock sock this away in the sock drawer and stuff. So. Oh no, I, and and you know what? They're given your fun, given different funding models. That that's not necessarily wrong. I mean, I look at from a functional perspective. The for, we are probably going to save five thousand dollars on a room on a basis of like twenty six thousand, give or take, when we move to our second generation digital rooms. And it's probably very close to what Greg's about to install because we've been uh, chatting about that. And so, yes, there, there, you can definitely save money by not being the first people, you know. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> for sure. All right, Mr. Uh, Mr. UCLA, um, how do you, uh, besides moving from Extron to Crestron, how do you stay above the curve? Well, well, it's, that's that's sort of what we're trying to figure out. I mean, we we are we that that's largely where we sit. We've got, um, you know, the, I've got the better part of two hundred switchers that are digital only. I've got three rooms with well, no, wait, two. I had one fail uh, with digital capability, and sort of through a combination of. Uh, a smattering of brilliant planning and a majority of just blind, dumb luck, we've got to the point where all of the technologies changed and all of our screens are the wrong size and the projectors are old. And now we get to start all over and replace everything all over again. And, and that's, that's what we're trying to figure out. And that's why, you know, we're, we're clearly a, a number of digital inputs so we have a lot of flexibility moving forward because yeah you know we're it's 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 very hard to say what the thing's going to be in a couple of years you know when wireless is going to be big and for what and whose version of it yeah that's you know true. and and what in the world is apple going to going to come up with next week you know right now everybody we we get emails from students saying hey why don't you have apple tv in the classrooms Fortunately, I don't have to. Well, I don't know. Maybe if I got to answer some of those emails, things might change. No, no, <laughs> no, they no. Would. You'd uh, just get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with that metric. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a it's a good article. I think they make some some really good points. Nothing really earth shattering. We're all in the same sort of boat trying to figure out where we're going. I think one of the one of the things that we that I, I hear from, from all three of us and I don't know anybody's willing to just kind of get right out there and say it, but maybe I will because I know nobody from Bates listens. I don't know that you can <laughs> really do it. I, I don't see how you can build a room today that's going to be fully functional in ten years. And so I think part of it is what Matt said. You've got to make a funding model and you've got to explain to people why that is. Because we, you know, students today, you know, I, I like to consider myself, you know, my, my son calls me a tech geek and I like to think of myself as that. But a high school kid, I don't even understand how they use their cell phone. Yeah. They use it in ways that are so different than I do. Uh, and, and in three years, they're going to be in college. And so I, I don't, even as much as I try to stay up to it, I have no clue what, the way that they're doing things or what they expect. And so... You know, we can do our best. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking when Greg was talking is, you know, you got to put in flexible switchers that you can pull cards in and out of and, and change right. inputs and the like. Uh, but you also just got to realize, you know what? It's technology and it's going to be different five years from now. I, yeah. I, no, I, I think one thing that I, I hear from both of you guys and I absolutely agree with is really if you want to build that, that future proof ish classroom, it's more about providing imports and transports. 
than actual specific functionality. Yeah. You know, rather than put the Apple TV in the room, give them an HDMI, HDMI port so they can bring the Apple TV with them. And in some respects, it makes it the user's responsibility to support their gear. But as we have seen such a diversification in what our users are bringing into the classrooms, it really, I think, some of that will shift towards them. And with this next generation of both faculty and students, I don't think it'll be as much of a burden as it was for those who were the first to use technology-enhanced classrooms. The other thing, you know, on this whole life cycle that I, I think is almost fundamental is looking at some of the skill sets we're looking for in our technology management or our, uh, our project managers. And, you know, as you get to the larger universities, you know, George Mason were 200 plus classrooms. Um, you know, I was actually, uh, you, you need to look at people who are actually doing the business uh, analysis, doing your projections, doing life cycle management. Uh, talking with a colleague at, uh, let's see, it's uh, South Carolina, uh, he was talking about they have, I think, 700 plus AV spaces they support. Wow. And they wow. just expanded to now they have five full-time project manager, designer, you know, not support personnel, where those people are focused on designing solutions or implementing solutions for customers. Uh, it's very much what our group does here at George Mason, that we're, we're involved with planning and implementing where there's other folks who are support. So I don't know how quickly we'll see that model change, and probably when the money comes back. But I think for a lot of these large universities, it's like any other technology planning. You know, the IT folks often have an architecture group. You know, there's nothing different in what we're doing than with what they're doing. And I was I was being somewhat facetious, but not really. I, I look at what other people do, and then go, okay, you know, in, in in three or four years, we can start doing that. And so, you know, mine is a little bit of what what Scott does, and a little bit of what of what Matt does, and that's you know, make sure we have the cabling, and then you know, little by little, come up with a plan. So that's that's kind of what ours is. Uh, real quickly, guys, a couple other stories. One is um, there was a a a review of some audio for education. Um, uh, for education solutions, and a website called AV Interactive, and we'll, it's a British publication, but yeah, you know they they have classrooms too. So um, I'll put a link in, in the show notes for this. And it got me thinking because there are a couple products that I've never really understood, and I'm either hoping you guys cannot understand them with me or show me the uh, the light. But also, it, what do we need? Um, is the other question. What do we need in the classrooms when it comes to audio? I mean, do we need full-on, you know, so, you know, um, audio reinforcement systems with microphones? Do we need these little lanyard things um, that are the ones that really kind of confuse me? I'm not really sure where the use case for that is um, because you know there are three or four different solutions people have. Um, and so, Greg, whether whether it's a small, you know, under twenty, you know. Um, seat classroom or it's a full-on lecture hall with with 500 seats what you mean how, how i guess how do you guys um solve the problem of of having audio in in the classroom you know we are still focused largely on trying to get uh a good set of stereo speakers and a good p 
PA speaker or speakers in the, in all the rooms, and we we carry that model down from you know from our four hundred person rooms down to we we have. Uh, we we have PA I think every place and I think we ha- I mean we have program every place we have AV and you know really we have PA pretty much every place too because it's um, it's an integral part of our um, our uh, our uh, recording for podcasting and also the uh, hearing assist system we have to put in so and you know I don't have stereo every place and I got a whole lot of rooms with. You know, in some places, 30-year-old Electro Voice, great big black cabinets with 12-inch drivers in them. And, and you know, um, it's, it's, uh, it's a curve where we, we, we got it. We'll have all the rooms equipped now as of this summer, but audio is one of our – sort of one of the areas where we're a little bit behind. And, um, and uh, we'll be visiting uh, some speaker companies here uh, in the next couple of weeks at Infocom. All right. Go ahead. I was gonna say, Matt, what do you guys do for like how how do you scale, or is it or is it uh, audio everywhere? Uh, well, obviously, audio everywhere. Our goal, like Reg, and we do this pretty much. I'd say 97 percent of our rooms is uh, directional program, which I think is huge. Um, I've been for the past five years ripping out some integrator recommended uh, seventy volt program audio, which I. We've just gotten nothing but awful feedback. Uh, we do uh, provide uh, speech reinforcement in any room greater than 50 seats, and that's done, uh, you know, with a distributed 70-volt uh, system. So we're we're pretty well standardized in that. Uh, we we do try to uh, utilize DSPs actually in most of our spaces. Um, I wish we could spend a little more time EQing some of our spaces out, but. We, we we really do try to handle audio as well as we can because it's a very important part of the uh, classroom experience. And you don't do it because of the press of time and getting in and getting out. Getting out you know, it, it, it's more I think we need a better process at this point to you know EQ and 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 really kind of better adjust our audio. We've also found, unfortunately, and I always get yelled at by consultants when I say this, but out of the box, most of the DSPs we use with a basic program is good enough for a classroom. Um, and I, I actually think I hear a consultant crying in a corner right now. Um, but I, I will say one thing I'm looking forward to, and I mentioned this uh, before we got on, is uh, SynogCon is going to yes. be doing a uh, one-day uh, audio in the classrooms workshop at the uh, CCUMC conference this year in October. And uh, I've always meant to get to a sit on con uh, uh, event. I just haven't been able to. So I think that that sounds fantastic. And where is that, uh, the CCUMC? Uh, I believe it's in Las Vegas this year. So we have to go back to Las Vegas. (laughs) Turn the luck. Uh, Mr. Mr. Tyner, what do you do? Do you just give people bullhorns? Yeah, exactly. I didn't know. I mean, how do you know? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I've got to say, strings. The, the the first thing, this article actually interests me. But one of the things that just cracked me up is how it how it referred to the sales manager for one of the companies, and how he pointed out how many teachers are out every day because of voice strain. Yes, um, that was. I'm just gonna like. I don't even know where you got <laughs> where this guy got that info. But anyway, you know, if you've ever read anything um, on 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 um, 
Rave Ed, you know, Greg Bronson used to do his, his article over on Rave Ed, and he would write all the time about audio and how important it is, and it's the first thing you should worry about in a room. And I was somebody who just was like, yeah, 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 whatever. And, and one of the things I realized is I'm actually a very loud talker. Um, but what I started doing is something that he recommended, which is go and sit in a room during a lecture. And, and I've done that with a room that has voice reinforcement and wasn't being used and then when it is being used. And just the entire experience of not having to strain and hear what's going on, uh, it's, just, it's a completely different, more relaxing experience. And so since then, you know, we've been putting in – unless you're talking about a small seminar of like 15 or 20 people, we're putting voice reinforcement in every room we do hmm. um, because it – as it has also been pointed out, it also then gives you that ability – to do the hearing assist, uh, and it'll you know give us the ability in the future to do any kind of class capture we want. But it's just really amazing. Go go sit in a lecture in a room that you know you don't think needs it, um, and you don't even know because there might be in, in the back of the room there might be a fan that's blowing above you, and just the that little bit of reinforcement is really amazing. It completely changes your entire experience. Wow, yeah, that's one thing I've not done is is sit in the classroom while the, while the lecture is being on. Usually, usually they don't want me around when there's classes going on, so I'll just you know sneak out the back. So, all right, that that's actually good stuff. Uh, here recently, and, and I saved Crestron to last because I didn't. You know, I, our, our very first episode of this show was called the Crestron Fanboy Hour, so I, I don't want to perpetuate <laughs> that. So I'll save this. I've saved this towards the end. Uh, but they kind of quietly released something. <laughs> um, it, their their capture HD which shipped in January is that right guys started shipping uh, in January December yeah December January yeah uh you can, you can. stream that now yeah <laughs> what a, yeah I was like okay sure cool awesome um and and Scott you uh you're the one that kind of pointed this story out to me and and the interesting thing was something that we can kind of kick around uh, because our buddy Greg is is just entering the world of Crestron, and, and you you posed a question. Um, this is going to require programming, right? So if you had somebody put in your 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 capture HD, uh, the way to do it is through programming. So you raised the question of whether or not to bring your programming in house. And right. we, you can talk about with with whether it's Crestron or AMX or or Extron. So how how do you how are you guys going to walk that through? Well, it, it's interesting, and I and I brought this up again not not because it's Crestron, but because of that concept about what do you do in house and what do you not what do you not yeah. do in house. And uh, Matt has been part of a uh, Power of AV for Education at Infocom, and one of the speakers there said something which I, I hadn't heard anybody say in a long time, which is this idea of doing this stuff in-house is, is old school. We should not be doing anything in-house anymore. Um, you know, if you're doing installation or design in-house, you've you got to get on the, on the, on the bandwagon and, and stop it, and, which is completely different than what my perspective is and what we've been doing at Bates. And, and this, this release, both the programming piece of it and the fact that it required a firmware update – that required you to get into your programming um, and also with the DMPS that they put out requires the same thing, says to me, boy, I think actually we're doing the right thing because I could sit down after reading about that and as you mentioned, I actually saw by accident because it was in the release notes for some firmware update that I just – I never read them. I don't even know why I read that one. Um, I sat down after that for an hour and, and had one of my, my um, Capture HD streaming. 
I don't know, A, how long it would have taken me to do it, how much I would have had to pay for the programming to get to hire in somebody to do it. Um, so it, to me, it really answers we're doing the right thing. And I'm curious to yeah, know what, you know what others are doing. Well, and, and I will uh, – I'll be the first to admit this. I am not a Crestron master programmer. I'm an intermediate programmer uh, on purpose. Uh, I'm in the process of, of actually writing my code to get into my, my certification class. But I'm with you. You know what? Um, anybody that says you know, you're doing it wrong or you're doing something incorrect by bringing stuff in-house has never looked at our budgets. I, and I don't mean that to, to be somewhat funny. It, it is, it, it's, we say that tongue-in-cheek, but there's, let's be honest here. You know, none of us, at least, at least I don't have a multi-million dollar budget. And if you do, I want to come work with you for you. Um, we don't We're have not a, hiring. You know, just, you know what? Just, you and your <laughs> bears, and um, you don't have any money. You're freaking California. I know you don't have any money. Um, but that's you know that that was the 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 whole the genesis, honestly, of me even going and starting down the whole programming route. And now I feel comfortable enough to opening up opening up anybody's program whether it's crestron or amx or, or extron so that that's our you know our little two cents um matt you guys do you know you obviously design the systems yourself and you do a lot of the installs yourself what um what say you when it comes to bringing programming either in-house or, or leaving it for for capes we uh we pretty much bring it all in-house we we have actually a full-time staff programmer um and one of the things we found is because we we just weren't getting any long-term success working with uh, programmers or integrators. And I don't think it was specific to the skill set of programmers or integrators, but their goal is to complete a project and move on. Whereas we've started treating our AV program a lot more like traditional IT code, where it's an ongoing development cycle, where we're regularly doing bug fixes in-house, we're doing improvements mostly on the back end. And right now we're actually working on some really neat stuff, which I hope to be able to share in probably about two months. Wow. Uh, but it's, it, it's just a different development mindset um, that we, we are treating this like you would uh, developing applications, that it, it, it's, a lot, it's a development life cycle. It's not a one-time event. And so we go through, you know, feature requests. We go through, you know, hope, you know, next week we're actually doing a uh, six-month plan because we know we have more programming than we have capacity. So it's it just kind of lo- looking at that stuff. Um, you know, to, to the gentleman uh, Scott was referring to, um, he, he is at an institution that money is not an issue. And because of that, I know and they, they have hired pretty much some of the best independent programming companies in the country, if not the world. Uh, they've also have top tier uh, consultants and integrators because they can pay, you know, the Cadillac, Mercedes Benz, if you will, prices. Um, you know, even being a large university, we're, we're, we're nowhere near that sort of budget model where we can, we can spend that type of money. I, I have a Yugo. <laughs> but you know the other thing I would add, though, Matt, that I think that even beyond the um, the initial program is exactly what you said, and I would even go as far as customer service. We had, we had an example a couple years ago where we had put in a room that had sixteen by nine TVs, and this professor had this certain situation where he needed it to be four by three, and so it's like, okay, let's put a you know the TVs can go in four by three mode. Let's put a button on the screen. Go to our, our integrator, you know, put a button on the screen that does that. Well, that's $600 and, you know, mm-hmm. a two-week wait. 
And it's like, no, give me the, I mean, really? And, and so it's this customer service model, which is in what you just referred to, this idea that this is a work in progress. And when people need things, we need to respond to them. Yeah. And uh, no, I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I actually know that we did that exact same scenario. That was one of the first reasons we brought programming in-house. This was back in, uh, in 2003. We trained our first Crestron programmers back then uh, because we actually uh, we got a projector, which was a 16, 16 to 9. and Well, it was a 4.3 stretch to 16 to 9, and faculty hated it. And we had to put a button on there, basically, which would unstretch it. And the quote we got was ridiculous, and uh, it, that started us going in-house. See, this is so funny because my, my story is very similar to you guys. I started working here, and, and one of the first jobs for, for the first things we had to do was I had to switch out two old Barco projectors. And we put in a couple pretty nifty little extra or Epson ones, and the company who quote-unquote owned the code to the rooms that we did um, by the way, still can't get the code to, the, to those rooms. Um, charged me a thousand dollars to change the code for power on, power off, and switching the inputs. And I have since switched those rooms out myself. Um, the old processors are sitting on a, on, a, on a shelf behind me, and I put in my own Pro Tools and wrote my own code because of it. So that that worked out well for that company, didn't it? Yeah, they got all kinds <laughs> yeah. of repeat business. They got hey, here's that was a good business move. They got my thousand bucks. Let's let's be honest. They got my thousand bucks, but that was the last thousand bucks they ever got from me. So. Yeah, and, and I will say, even when we made the transition from some outsourced to insourced, we did. Uh, I think since 2003, we have stated in every contract vehicle we own our code. Mm-hmm. That's a non-negotiable. Yep. Well, one of the things that I that we we do a lot of, I do a lot of work with the the, the um, mail group AV1 and one of the things that we've been talking about yeah. that ties into this is why not create um, a place where we can put our programming. I'll put my programming up there if somebody wants to borrow it, steal it, whatever, and I'm sure that you know if somebody else does the same thing then it, you know you're all you're all helping each other. Um, and but and again to help that um, that idea of customer service and 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 moving that forward. Greg, are you writing all this stuff down? <laughs> Oh, just just wondering whether I should when I should jump in here. Um, we're we're kind of in a different situation with the way we we do everything in in house or have done. You know, all of our design and integration in house. And but but it's been a case where you know we're only responsible for for roughly half the rooms on campus, and so we don't have to talk to an outside university to find a group that has been. Um, can I say screwed sure. by 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 an integrator? I mean, we, we we got one the one of the one of the campus departments is getting ready to sue right now for wow. for some of the stuff that's gone on. Mm. Um, just you know, I I could rattle off a number of cases where yeah, you know, they the outside company came in, did something for them a year down the road. Oh, we really need this feature, and it's like. Okay, well, that'll be you know so many thousands of dollars more, and so as we're making this transition here now from from uh, nothing being programmed to Crestron systems, which definitely have to be programmed, we um, we just completed going through 
basically an interview process with a bunch of uh, programmers and and uh, small programming companies and and uh, bring them in and talk to us and see what they had to say and um, we're going to outsource it and we're we're probably all a little nervous about that but um, found a small company that really. Um, I you know mentioned them to a couple of people I know and just got some really glowing reviews and some reports that they they really understand how higher ed works and that there are going to be little changes and they're not looking they don't tend to look at those as an you know a way to take advantage of us down the road they want to you know do the major revisions for us when they happen but um uh, you know, comments from from a couple of schools that use them that they've really had really great relationships with them. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll let you know how that goes. But that's sort of the path we're starting down. Well, and I, I don't I don't blame you either. But I've never heard of of getting to the point where you have to sue them. So. I just stopped calling them back. So. <laughs> yeah, well, they, that's the thing. They they have this. They haven't been getting them to come back to fix systems that clearly were not working. You know, they built them and they'd come in and do some changes, and they'd come and do some other changes, and and they couldn't make them work the way they were supposed to. You know, large large feature sets unavailable or inoperative. It's Joe Bob's world of AV. Um, actually, no. One of them is one that you would all recognize, but oh, I, I would not Seriously. throw them under the bus. No, yeah. no, no. We don't need that. But wow. No, I just said we do enough of that already. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and they probably have some some fine groups in other cities too. But the the local one, I'm I'm not not feeling the warm fuzzy feelings about. Well. All right. Fortunately, they're not my systems. Yes, yes, they're not. Well, here's what we'll need to do. The first thing we do is we get you hooked up with the Crestron Owners Group, affectionately known as COG, as in, you know, Cogsworth Cogs. You know, from, An excellent group. Um, and Matt is here. He's going to uh, give us, because he's the secretary of said group. Congratulations to Matt. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all he has to do is he has to assassinate the president, the vice president, and the treasurer, and he becomes president. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm I, in I, charge I don't here. Want that job, yes. Uh, but <laughs> go we're, ahead. we're not going to have an Al Haig moment or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, Give us a rundown because there, the there's reference. a meeting. Um, there's a meeting at Infocom if you're going, uh, but also if you're not going, how how people can get involved in that. Uh, sure. The uh, Crestron's owner, the Crestron Owners Group, is a uh, program uh, for, or really, a group for anyone who is a partner uh, of one of Crestron's partner programs, like the A Plus Partners programs, is the government partner mm-hmm. programs, enterprise partner programs, and it's really a user to user group where we have Crestron lurkers who can chime in uh, and help out where needed. Uh, we we've moved to LinkedIn as our site. We used to have our own forums, and we found LinkedIn works so much better. Uh, and if you go to LinkedIn, you look at a LinkedIn group and just search for Crestron Owners Group. Uh, it is a private group, so after you click join, someone will verify whether or not you're actually a member, uh, one of a member of Crestron's partner programs. Uh, we're having our annual face-to-face meeting this year at Infocom on the 14th which is thursday at uh 10 30 a.m in uh las vegas convention center room and 
250, which is the same room uh, where Crestron is doing a lot of its uh, events. If you're going to be at the uh, partner's breakfast, it's, it's actually we're going to be following the partner's breakfast this oh, year. Very cool. Okay. Very good. And awesome. if if you want to get involved in any of that, come by there. Uh, we just had the uh, the elections yes. for the officers, which is when Mister Mister uh, Silverman became secretary. <laughs> so you have a whole other year to wait for that. But uh, it is a really good group, and uh, it, it's really helpful, especially if you're just getting started. Um, and I think the the finer point we're not putting on is that they um, they have a big presence on LinkedIn, and that's yes. where a lot of the discussion goes on. And uh, that's where I've been participating. And as a very new Crestron person, it is a I'd have to say it's a it's a great place to just stop in and listen to some of the discussions or toss out the stupid questions. There are some really smart people on there, yes. and they love to talk about Crestron stuff. So highly recommend. It. And there are no stupid questions. No, there there really aren't. And I, I'll almost guarantee any of our folks out there, our listeners, um, if you're having a problem, odds are one of us have already had the problem. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we have the problem together, which always makes things interesting. Uh, but really, throw stuff out there. It's a great user-to-user support group, and uh, we love to get new people involved. Very cool. All right, that is the COG group, Crestron owners group, because, you know, we're all a bunch of Crestron fanboys. So we like everybody else too, but <laughs> we really like Crestron stuff. We may not all like our, our education reps, but that's a whole nother show. So we're, we're not all Crestron yet. I didn't say we're all Crestron. I said we like them. Do you, okay. do you like them? I like Crestron, well, but, I like, uh... but I like Extron too. I see. That's my problem is I like Extron too. I just wish they liked each other. You know, and and well, yeah, and they're it's like they're, having they're, two... they're near me, and they they know where I work, and uh, <laughs> well, here's the I, thing: it's I, like I... having two really good friends that hate each other's guts, and <laughs> and that's the best way. I, and I'm, I'm, I don't mean to, to cast dispersion, but it seems like they hate each other's guts. How about that? I think that's a very accurate way of looking at so. it. Like both of you, but I wish you'd get along sometime. <laughs> that is a great example. <laughs> Can't like we that. all just get along? Yes. <laughs> all right. Enough of the kumbaya and and you know, um, and all that jazz. So, um, really quickly, uh, we will be taping this very show at Infocom. Speaking of which, um, if you are going to Infocom in the Las Vegas area, sometime in and around the fourteenth of June. Uh, stop by, if you would, please, at 1 o'clock on Thursday, um, uh, June 14th, actually. You could go to the uh, Extron, uh, the Crestron, rather, um, uh, members' uh, you know, education breakfast, and after that you can go to the COG group and go have lunch, and then at 1 o'clock <laughs> come by the Infocom store, and just to the left of that, that's where we'll be. Uh, uh, the guys at, at Rave Pubs have been very nice, and they've given us a little broadcast booth. And so we'll be taping, taping this live. Uh, the three of you will be there, and we might have a couple extra guests as well. So so they by. can, like, press their face up against the glass and make I, I don't funny think faces? I don't, I don't, I don't and... think there's any glass. They can throw things at us. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I was so. going to say, I sure hope it's their faces they're pressing up. Ah, okay. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> After hearing this show, they words. might have Jeez. other ideas. That one there would be Matthew T- Matthew Silverman. He's from George Mason, also with us. Uh, where's your, 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 give me your website again, sir. Oh, uh, Next uh, Ed Tech. Next Ed Tech. And your Twitter is what? M Silver M. M Silver M. 
Uh, also with us is Scott Tyner. He is the illustrious leader of our little group of uh, of uh, Technology Managers uh, Council at Infocom, but he's also at Bates College. So thank you, sir. Do you have a Twitter yet? Uh, I do. I use it like once every three months, That's and fine. I don't even remember what it is because it just logs me well, in automatically. Never mind then. <laughs> <laughs> um, also with us is Greg Brown. He is from the fabulous UCLA Go Bruins. And what is Very your Twitter? Good. Very good. Uh, tweet at at AV Greg. And uh, Scott made reference to it earlier. Both he and I write occasionally for uh, AV1.org. That's AV-1.org. Yes. And I think we can all be found on LinkedIn, too. Yeah, we all can yes. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. If you would like to follow me in my Twitter, I don't know why, but it is Tim David T D Albright, A L B R I G H T. But more importantly for me and everybody here at AV Nation, please go by the website, check out this this podcast that you have found. There are so many others. There's a weekly, there's a daily, and there's a ton of monthlies depending on what your interest is. The website is ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation. Ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation. Thank you so much for stopping by at Tech.